on this episode of In The Rack Podcast. And <laughs> waving a wand for eight minutes. Oh my God, kill me. I mean, I, I don't know why I did that for so long. It was just crazy. Just crazy. But yeah, so that's that's how I screwed up. And I did that for years. And, um, you know, it wasn't until Nick came along where I actually woke up and was like, why am I doing this? So I don't think that I... What you got? In the Rack Podcast, where we provide you with a practical framework for breaking PRs in all facets of health and wellness. We are just a couple of bros giving you the simple house in a world of complex wants. No filters, no scripts, no rules, just straight talk. Talk to them. Now, let's get into the rack with your hosts, Dr. Chad and Dr. Nick. All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of In The Rack Podcast. I am your host, Chad, and with me is my co-host and fellow physical therapist, Nick. You guys know what time it is. It is not only episode 20, which is kind of a big deal, but it's another time for getting reckless in the rack. And I think we've tried to plan this so that we get these reckless episodes every five episodes or so. So, Everybody keeps on giving us good feedback about the episodes, so we're just going to keep on rolling them out. But this Reckless in the Rack has a little twist to it. And instead of talking shit about everybody else, we're going to talk shit about ourselves. Uh, kind of like we, we mentioned in the last episode, uh, we want to take a step back and kind of talk about maybe things that we messed up on, whether it's recently or early in our careers. Things that we were like, well, why are we doing this? This is not right. You know, whether it's something that changed in the research or whether it's just something we saw somebody else doing, we're like, why am I doing this? This doesn't make any sense. So we, we, we wanted to make this kind of like a, another series of episodes, kind of part of the Reckless in the Rack series where we talk a little bit how, about how we messed up. So we're going to talk about a couple of, of instances in, in early in my career and, and what I screwed up in. And Nick's got a couple instances what he wants to talk about as well. But if you are new to the In the Rack or the Reckless in the Rack series, um, basically how it goes is this is where Nick and I share stories from our patients. But in this case, we're going to share stories about ourselves. Uh, we like to share these stories not only because they're reckless, but because some of these stories may sound familiar. Now, in this case, it may sound familiar as you as a therapist, <laughs> but as the patient, if you're like, wow, why am my therapist doing that? That They just talked about that. That doesn't make any sense. So it's still good for everybody to listen to. In fact, that's the exact purpose of the series just to create a little bit more awareness of everything that's going on. So uh, for all of you that are joining us in this episode, we're going to talk about a few quick stories um, and then give our two cents on the story. So in this case, we're going to talk about how we messed up and how we made that better or we learned from our mistakes. So um, today, let's, let's, talk, let's, talk about, um, let's talk about you, Nick. How'd you screw up? All right. So this one's actually pretty recent. Um, so we're, we're talking the last couple of weeks. Um, and you, you guys know that we use the, the alias names for these episodes. So this one is a specific individual. Oh, we're going to use alias? We'll, we'll, we'll just, we'll use one name on this. I only have well, it's one. you we're talking about. No, I know, but I'm, how I messed up with this person. Oh, so oh, I have to oh. talk about the person. <laughs> I got you. So the person, well, well the patient will be Vivo because oh, I messed I up. You. With uh, the the feet and the footwear, so I'm. Everyone knows if you've listened to this that I'm big on the footwear, and I incorporate um, footwear education and and recommendations as part of my treatment for pretty much any everybody. Uh, definitely lower body stuff, low back stuff, but 
maybe not so much with the upper body upper body issues but this individual came in um vivo post post op- operation on the knee right knee so um you know it, it, she came in struggling and we were we were working on a lot of the knee specific rehab afterwards um she developed a blood clot on the right side all that so we had to get that under control with her doctors and all that kind of stuff so once we were underway with that she was you know in better shape early on i had recommended you know what let's let's try to get you into some zero drop shoes because i think a lot of um this this extra stress and strain could be caused by the footwear to some extent not all of it but just to some extent so we had done that all the while while she was being treated for the blood clot a couple weeks go by and she starts complaining of left hip pain so i'm like oh it's just compensation that kind of stuff she's like yeah i've had a history of left hip left hip issues and so we're, we're you know treating that as well and obviously we're doing some of the the specific acute post-op stuff but also uh you know giving some some attention to to the left hip and hip specific stuff you know we've talked before that this is it's a whole body thing anyway but now we're putting a little bit more attention diverting some focus there and i'm treating it and and still it's just not not progressing very well so weeks go by and I'm, you know, doing my, my normal stuff. And I'm like, man, this is, this isn't going the way I, I thought it would. And now her, she's doing well. Otherwise, like knees doing great. Um, blood clots cleared up. She had the follow-up ultrasounds for that. So we're, we're a couple months into this by now. And, and her hip is still just bugging her. Like she can't get more than three quarters of a mile before her hip starts bothering. And I'm like, man, what am I missing? So I, I, I dial back to her footwear and a we talked about her initial shoes that she came in with and those were 12 millimeter drop and i dropped her right into ultras which are zero so that 12 millimeter drop was probably just way too aggressive so we we took her body that's used to being propped up 12 millimeters from the ground at the heel and we just went boom right to zero so all those different tensions up and down from foot all the way to hip back everything was just so abruptly changed that her left hip was just going haywire on me and I didn't catch it at first. Um, you know, that, that's my thing is the feet, the footwear. And I totally just went way too aggressive on her, especially in a post-op situation. I probably should have waited a little bit to address the footwear. Um, but nonetheless, we, you know, kind of dialed back, peeled it back and said, okay, you know what? Let's hold off on the, the zero drop for now. Let's go into this. Shoe. She actually had some hokas that she had in the closet already, which are like a five to six millimeter drop. So I was like, that's going to be good in between. Let's try that for a few weeks and see what happens. And it made a huge difference. Like was able to walk more than a mile, a mile plus, like within days until um, she started getting some pain. So we were able to, you know, then get back on track. And obviously the end goal is to get her back into the zero drop um, and, you know, get her there at some point. It may take a few months. Who knows? We'll see as we go. But yeah, I, I just dove way too quickly into that, that gets a zero drop. It's going to make all the difference. It's going to help your knee so much. And it actually, it, it may have helped your knee, but it, it, it definitely posed some problems on her head. <laughs> I think sure. that's so common though. I mean, <clears throat> especially when anybody takes or any practitioner takes a new thing or learns a new thing, that's like, they want to learn so much about it and master it that they just incorporate it with everything or overdo it, you know, with anything, you know, and you're like, man, I'm just doing it way too much, you know, and it can have a negative effect because that's not really how it's and, supposed and to be And it's, it's so interesting too, because I normally talk pretty thoroughly about the transition with people, but 
she, you know, Vivo came in and was super active swimmer, runner, like background and everything. So I'm like, oh, pff, she'll be able to handle this. So I kind of projected my own, um, you know, thought process on on her and said, oh, she, she'll be good with this. I can, I can bring her right to zero drop. So I just kind of threw out everything that was already in my head from, you know, the, tra- the gradual transition process and the progressive overload process and was like, ah, you know what? Just, let's just throw it all at her after a surgery, you know? So, so in the situation like that, Nick, how did you go about telling that patient, you know, okay, maybe did you have to, did you take fault or it was one of those things where it was like, you know what, maybe we just progressed this a little too fast, you know? Oh yeah. Let's- I said, I, I think I may have, uh, recommended, I said, I still want you in zero drop at the, you know, at the end of the day, maybe, not today, but that's our end goal. But I said, I think I may have progressed you a little too quickly for everything that was going on for you, post-op, blood clot, you know, all this stuff, the body was in this heightened state already, you know, and had its guard up. And then I throw this new thing at it. So I, I, I did admit fault there. Um, you know, I, I assured her that it wasn't, it's not a huge deal. She has the history of left, left hip issues. So we didn't just spark something new. The, the shoe might have been just kind of that, that icing on the cake or that, that final straw type of thing. So I said, let's just dial it back. Let's go into some of the old footwear. We may even have to, I told her, we may even have to go into the shoes, back into the shoes for that you originally came in, the 12 millimeter, just for the time being, you know, till, till we're out of this flared up state. But yeah, I, I did admit fault. Um, I didn't I didn't want to, but you have to, <laughs> for sure. Dude, I think it just instills more trust in yourself because you're like, man, you know what? I screwed up. Yeah. We did that oh, one yeah. too fast. Yeah. So this is what we got to do now, you know, and make it right. So I, I think it's okay. To, to admit fault. And I think some people still have a hard time doing that. So yeah, for sure. You know, no, I, it, I mean, I definitely had a hard time, yeah. without a doubt. <laughs> uh, especially because it was, it was my wheelhouse. If it were something that I'm not as comfortable with, um, I would have just been like, oh yeah, pff, I, 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 yeah. I see this, but not that much, you know, <laughs> something like that. But, but sometimes you never know, you know, you have a patient that comes to you like, man, they, they could definitely do it. And yeah. then they surprise you. I know. Like how I many know. patients do we see that you know, or going in for a surgery and you're like, man, you're going to crush it. And they come out and they're like, wow, I didn't see that coming. And then the other way around where it's like, wow, you're going to have a really time after the surgery. And then they come out and you're like, whoa, <laughs> you're killing it. And it, you're right. You're so right about that because we, we go through that pretty regularly. And I would say that with shoes, you won't know until you try anyway. Yeah, totally. So you, you kind of have to, to an extent. I mean, you could just play it safe all the time. But that person may not need to play it safe. So sometimes just, and you don't want to be like, oh yeah, you got to buy these shoes, these shoes, these shoes. That's going to be the progression. It's like, I mean, when we could just buy one pair of shoes totally. and progress right away. Yeah, you, and like you said, it's trial and error sometimes. You don't know. You don't know. Yep. So Nikki learned his lesson. I did. I did. I learned my lesson. Stick, stick to the... Uh, Six of the progressive overload principle for everything. <laughs> well, unlike Nick, my story, well, my story is about myself. So there's no aliases here. This is just Chad. This is, this is the story of Chad. He graduated in 2009. Don't, don't forget this guys. Like I'm, I'm not like just fresh out, but I've been out long enough where I did some dumbass shit. And, uh, I think it was mainly because that was kind of like the way it was done. And that's just the excuse that I have. And it's a bad excuse to have, but I learned from that and I don't do any of that stuff anymore. And, and I think as a practitioner and, and if you practitioners are out there and listening, you guys probably fell on this. And if some of you are in this funk right now, this would be a good listen for you. And it'd be a good like wake up call to get out of that funk. But I was very much into passive modalities when I first graduated college. And, and that was only because 
that's what I was exposed to. So I was like, oh man, this has got to work. This guy does it. This guy's been practicing for 25 years and he gets great results. But is it, is it the passive modality or is it what that practitioner is doing after the passive modality that really makes a difference, you know? So I'm going to be honest, I was doing, well, ultrasound and iontophoresis. Hell, when I opened up this place five years ago, I bought a laser machine. That, that was cool. I was like, man, cold laser, low level, what was it low level light laser? I don't know, whatever. It was cold laser. It was cool, you know? And um, I think I had that machine for like a year and a half. And I think I used it maybe four times. And I ended up having to get rid of it because I wasn't using it. Actually, and- I actually think I, I tried to use it once and I did not know what I was doing because I'd never used one before. And I was like, I think, I think I'm doing it. Half the time we were using it, we weren't even using the shades, like the goggles that they give you with them. And I was like, oh my gosh, it was so bad. But it was funny because we'd have patients that would come in. They'd be like, oh man, but my elbow, last time this therapist used this laser on me, it felt so much better. And I was like, I really want to grab the laser right now, but I really don't want to grab the laser, you know? Um, But anyways, I kind of fell into that funk when I first graduated. Um, I was, I mean, embarrassed to say, but I was doing ultrasound up until about five years ago. When Nick was, when Nick, when I first hired Nick, I was still doing ultrasounds. Um, And it was, I think that was kind of like the turning point for me because when Nick came in, he was like, you know, looking at what I was doing. And I was like, yeah, man, if you want to use the ultrasound, the ultrasound's over here and the gel's over here and all that stuff. And he was like, yeah, I think I'm, I think I'm good with that. And I'm like, <laughs> so he politely was basically like, why the fuck are you doing that? Um, and you know, after a while I started phasing it out and phasing it out and phasing it out. And, uh, I don't think we have used ultrasound in probably the last four years, maybe. I think the ultrasound gels long gone expired. We still have the ultrasound machines. They get calibrated every single year. Um, so I know they work, but they just, they're really just ornamental at this point. Um, but you know, that, that was how I screwed up. And, and to be quite honest with you, it's like, it's crazy that ultrasound has been used for clinical applications since the 1950s and we're still using it. And every single bit of research out there is saying that it's just as effective as placebo for everything, which is horrible to say. And this is, you know, this is not diagnostic ultrasound we're talking about. We're talking about therapeutic ultrasound. So it's different, but in terms of like promoting soft tissue healing or reducing pain, there's been no evidence to show that it's effective, like none. And, and that's like systematic reviews. So, I mean, I, I, it's just, you know, what's even more baffles me is that insurance companies still reimburse for it. They still pay for it. I mean, but it's you, only like, but you got to do it for eight minutes. You got to do it for eight minutes. Yeah, exactly. So you're sitting there and <laughs> waving a wand for eight minutes. Oh my God, kill me. I mean, I, I don't know why I did that for so long. It was just crazy, just crazy. But yeah, so that's, that's how I screwed up. And I did that for years. And, um, you know, it wasn't until Nick came along where I actually woke up and was like, why am I doing this? So I don't think that I hurt anybody with that, but I think that I could have definitely helped more people by substituting with that eight minutes of time with probably more beneficial exercise. I could have got eight more minutes of exercise out of every single one of those patients. And, um, you know, that's, that sucks, but that's all good, you know, cause I learned from that. I don't do that anymore. Um, I think the only modality that I use nowadays is, uh, maybe stem here and there and that's you know and i would say that we use the stem because we we both use it from time to time and and my big thing for using it is is to calm someone's uh, central nervous system so if they come in and in the eval i get a sense that they're just one of those sympathetically overdriven people meaning that they're just fight or flight all the time um i will set them up on some stem at the beginning say hey look this is gonna this is just gonna calm the tissues down 
we're just going to relax a little bit. I, I want you to just focus on your breathing. Don't think about anything else. Let go of work stress. Let go of all this other stress. And we're just going to relax. Let the tissues relax and and just get get in a good state before we get going. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if, would you consider BFR a passive modality? Not at all. Yeah. I don't think so all. either. I mean, not the machine maybe, but not the, you're doing yeah. it with exercise. So it's not no, really. It's, it's, it's very much active. Yeah. It's, it's, so for, it burns like it's very active. Oh, no, totally. Yeah. So, I mean, if any of you guys are out there or gals are out there and you're still performing ultrasound, just stop. Spend time doing some more exercise with them. You, you know what? You're better off having a conversation with them. Pain science is more, is going to be more applicable than it is waving a wand on somebody's knee and hey if you want to wave a wand while you talk to them whatever <laughs> do it it's fine That's true. it's fine if you just want to be moving your hands to pretend like you're doing something but be talking to them during while you're doing that if you're going to wave the wand at least talk to them and uh you, you you'll they'll get benefit from the the conversation and you just listening yeah, totally thousand percent so cool um so my my other one where i kind of s- screwed up was it, very similar to that it was um, when I first became certified in dry needling. And like you said before, you learn this new thing and you want to do it on everybody. And we see a lot of runners in this area. So I was, you know, at the time seeing a lot of runners for hamstring issues. And um, I was in the, in the course for the needling. I was um, like the guinea pig for the hamstrings. So I was like this, like all, all into the hamstrings for whatever reason. So all these runners, I come back and I'm just hacking away at these hamstrings with the needles. And it, it, they're, they're very, very thin needles. So it's not like you very rarely draw blood. So it's a very, very small needle going into the muscle, trying to create a, what's called a twitch response. So, you know, basically the, the way it's described is like hitting a reset button. I would call it more so like a refresh button. I wouldn't say like full on reset. Reset to me implies that everything's restoring like back to new like you just w- wiped out everything and we're just starting all over i would say more like refresh it's like it's working a little slowly let's try to hit the refresh so it comes a little quicker kind of thing so um i was needling away at all these hamstrings and it was just painful for everybody and i'm like oh yeah no 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 that's normal it's normal it's normal and then i listened to a, um, a podcast um with a um, researcher by the name of dr andy galpin and he's big into emg research um you know, muscle biopsy, all that kind of stuff. And I heard him talking about all this research he was doing out in California. And he said, yeah, I don't biopsy the the hamstrings anymore. And the, whoever was interviewing him was like, well, why is that? He said, cause for whatever reason, people take so long to recover. He, He was like, I've biopsied people's patella tendons on the day of marathons and they're good to run the marathon later that day. And I biopsied people's hamstrings, even he was like, even my own hamstrings. And it takes weeks to recover fully from, from that biopsy. So I was like, Hmm, maybe we shouldn't be putting needles into people's hamstrings. And I still don't really know why we shouldn't be, but I'm just not, I just really don't do it too much anymore. I might get like a little part of the hamstrings, but I stick to the other areas that really, really tend to work pretty well. Like, you know, the calf muscles, the quad muscles, those muscles tend to respond really, really well. But for whatever reason. The hamstrings just weren't, but I was just going for it on all these runners. And they were just like, oh my gosh, that hurts so much. And I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, that's normal. That's normal. That's normal. And I just kept going and they'd come back. I'd be like, how'd you feel after the needles? They'd be like, I didn't really feel any different. I actually felt more sore. I'd be like, oh, that's that. You know, it'll take a couple of times. It'll take a couple of times. So I don't really needle hamstrings anymore. Um, dry needle. Um, 
the, it, it's just, yeah, I don't know. After hearing Dr. Dr. Galpin talk about that and then the experience is actually taking a step back and seeing like, hmm, these runners were getting needled and they were just more sore. Like they didn't really, really feel the benefits from it. I was like, ah, you know what? Maybe it's it's probably best to just get get what I'm trying to get out of the the manual therapy with with other other things. And really, you know, with these these runners with the the either long term hamstring issues or or even acute. I mean, yeah, we're trying to get blood flowing, but also we're trying to like retrain motor patterns. So we got to get them up and moving. So so decrease sensitivity right away with whatever grass in, you know, whatever you got to do to, to decrease that initial sensitivity. And then let's just get them moving, retraining those patterns, getting to fire those hamstrings a little bit more, um, more so than just jabbing them with needles. Yeah. I, I definitely did that a lot too. When I first got certified in dry needling and, <clears throat> and I screwed up too, because not only did I do multiple spots, but I was trying to get that level two. So to get that level two, you have to do more than three different regions. So I'd be like glute, Hand yeah, cast. I know. I Just know. so I could mark it off I the was list. Doing the same thing. <laughs> bad, totally yeah, bad. I know. Um, and it would have to be on the same. Per- it was the weirdest, same, weirdest yeah, thing. So you, you had to do it on the same person, but like three different groups. So I was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah no, your your uh, your calf's definitely playing a role here. Let's let's needle that. Let's. Yeah, and so. some of it was trial and error, and then some of it was like, I just want to get those two hundred, and I got the two hundred. And I never took the second level. <laughs> so I apologize for all those people that I did that to. <laughs> but if, if you are listening out there and you're like, huh, Johnny, can that help me? The glutes, fantastic. Like the glutes, it, 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 it works wonders on the glutes. Like I said before, the quads, like it, it, it does wonders to these other areas. But for, for whatever reason, the hamstrings, and it could be, could it be a sciatic nerve thing, like the hamstrings covering the sciatic nerve. So it's just more sensitive than other areas, potentially. Um, you know, could it be the type of tissue? I'd, I'd probably argue that it's more so like the fiber breakdown of that particular tissue that that's why it's not responding well. I mean, same reason, like, for example, um, I think it was Brad Schoenfield. He reported that, you know, on average triceps are like 70% fast twitch. And when you needle, dry needle someone's tricep, it's twitching like crazy. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, okay, maybe the fast twitch is, is, is more in, in, you know, in parts of that hamstring too, that you're hitting. And, and that's, what's creating that significant response. Um, who knows, but it's probably a combination of factors more or less. Oh, I bet. I bet. Cool. Any, anything else that we'd like to add? I don't want to talk too much about all the stuff that we messed up on because I'll save other stuff that I screwed up on for next episode. But like, is there anything else with the needling or anything that we, we kind of want to touch upon for that? I think the biggest thing with it, like something like the needling and even you said the, the, um, the ultrasound is, um, it's easy to get carried away with either a new skill or something that, um, you can, you can do. And after, after you do it enough, it becomes second nature to the point where you can almost do it without thinking. I know that sounds a little crazy that you can just put needles on someone without thinking, but you're thinking, but you're doing it and it's your, your, you know, it's, it's your, it's your nature at this point. It's, it's, um, you know, it's, it's like you would do anything else, brush your teeth, stuff like that. So we get into these, you can fall into this, you know, habit where you just do it to do it or you, you know, just do it to kill time or something. But you gotta, you gotta step back to the basic step away. Okay. Why am I doing this? Just constantly go back to, okay, what's my reason for doing this? Do I have a reason? If I don't probably shouldn't do it. If I have a good reason, all right, let's do it. See what happens. And if they're not responding, I got to be able to change course. You know, that's the, that, that's probably the biggest thing there is just be able to, to be flexible. Yeah, I agree. And make sure it's the reason, your reason and not somebody else's reason. Cause you need to understand that reason. So, you know, Nick might treat, 
a knee one way, I might treat it another way. But as long as the goal is reached, that doesn't really matter. So if Nick decides that he wants to do a certain type of exercise and I want to do a different type of exercise, that's okay. As long as the goal is reached, that's fine. Um, but you know, take it from me. Don't, don't fuck around with the passive modalities too long. Okay. That's not going to make anybody better. Um, but you know, just because somebody else does it doesn't mean it's the right thing. And that's the trap that I got caught into right when I first graduated. I was thinking, oh man, everybody else is doing this. It must be the thing to do, you know? Um, but you got to learn to think for yourself, you know, whether you become more of an advocate in terms of research, whether you reach out and talk to people like Nick or I and be like, oh, I'm doing this. What do you think? Whatever. You know, you just need to kind of open up and, and, and kind of learn more for yourself instead of just kind of copycatting everybody else for, for lack of better words. Yeah. And you gotta try stuff. As long as it's safe, try it because you'll that's the best way to learn. Try it. You'll you'll like like we just talked about times we messed up and we learned from it. That's the that's one of the best ways to learn. Because once you mess up, you're not forgetting it. You are not forgetting <laughs> that's it. true. That's true. So. All right, cool. That was a quickie. I like these ones. I think we're gonna have some fun with these ones in the in the future for sure. Moral of the story, don't be that PT. If you find that you are that PT, then please, for the sake of your patients and clients, make that change today. Learn from our mistakes. Remember that life's greatest lessons are usually learned from the worst mistakes. Thank you for joining us in the rack this week. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. You can also find us online at proformptma.com or on social media at proformptma. And remember, if you train inside the rack, you better be thinking outside the rack. Mm.